This morning we have a special gift and opportunity to hear from our family ministry director, Sarah O'Dell. Uh, she's a gifted speaker, uh, and even before I started working here at West Seattle, we were working together at uh, the Green Lake location, and I've always told her, I said, when she speaks, I listen, uh, and so, um, and I hope and pray and encourage for the rest of us here this morning, and as we start, our scripture comes from John chapter 8, verse 12, uh, and in John chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, and the word of the Lord is this, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I am really excited to be here with you all. Um, I was like already bawling by the second song. Um, this, prepping this sermon was such a gift. Um, and there wasn't a lot of time to do it with our move, um, and, but I still, I, God has something really um, exciting that he wants to do today. I really have sensed that very clearly, um, and he has some, some healing that he wants to bring and some light that he wants to bring, and so I am just really grateful to be able to be here with you all and share uh, what is maybe a familiar passage to many of us, um, and hopefully... You can hear some parts of it in some new ways with the word God has to say to you today. This passage is all about Jesus saying that he is the light. And I don't know about you, but this sunshine out there, I mean, I want to tell them, like, open up the windows, open up the doors, let it all in. Because it has been a season of literal darkness and gloom for us here in Seattle. And we all, I think, can ex have experienced the wonder that light brings we were out on a date Thursday night, and it was sunny, and we just kept hearing all these people be like, how are you? I'm good. It's sunny. Like, just, <laughs> I was like, only in Seattle would that be our reason. Um, but the only way that we know the beauty of light is because we have experienced darkness, and that is the way of all natural things, and it is the way of the seasons of our life, not just literally, but figuratively as well. And I have personally had so many experiences with light and darkness. I grew up in a really rural part of East Africa in Kenya, and I have experienced the darkest of darkest darkness where there is no light coming from any cities, and I have watched the sky transform from dark, dark, dark black to the brightest sunshine, um, and it is a process. We in the West are used to turning on a light switch, and the lights are on, and here is the light, um, and it doesn't... Jesus' light, I think, works that way a little bit sometimes, but it's more like when you know, oh, the night has passed, I can see the dawn, and then it continues to come gradually, and there's a transformation that happens. So we're going to learn about that today, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me just briefly, and then we're going to dive into our text. Jesus, thank you for being the light. Thank you that light always comes. It is the habit of the natural world, and it is the way that you are, that you always come, and that you are here. I submit this morning to you, I submit 
the words that are going to come out of my mouth to you and ask that they would be yours, not mine. Lord, I ask that you would protect us all against any distractions, whether it's grocery lists or cell phones or whatever it is that can distract us from the word that your Holy Spirit has to give us today to encourage us, to heal us, to transform us, and to fill us more with your light so that we can go out and show your light to a world that is hurting and in darkness. We love you, and we're so grateful that you are with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in this text, we didn't read all of chapter 9, but we are going to talk about all of chapter 9. And so Jesus is going along the temple, and he sees a blind man who's been blind from birth. That's the section that we read. And he stops, and he has a conversation with his disciples, which we'll circle back to, and then he heals the man and goes on his way. Well, the Pharisees don't like this very much because Jesus worked on the Sabbath. Performing a healing on the Sabbath would have been considered work, specifically the way that Jesus did it. This is the healing of the blind man where Jesus mixes the mud and his spit, which to us sounds gross, but in those times, spit was thought to have medicinal properties, and so that's why Jesus utilized that, and he put it on the man's eyes. And so even that mixing of mud and spit would have been active work, and Jesus sending that man away to wash in the pit would have been active work, and so Jesus blatantly, intentionally breaks the law of no work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were a sect that were in place specifically to keep Judaism clean from, keep the Jews clean from any outside pollution. And so in addition to the Ten Commandments, they had a book called the Talmud, which was a whole book on how to follow the Ten Commandments. And they had dozens and dozens of rules just around the Sabbath. So to give you guys an idea about how strict and how in detail they went to this, you weren't allowed to pick up a chair and move it on the Sabbath because that would have been considered work. You could drag it along the ground, but not in the dirt because it would make a furrow in the ground, and that would be considered work. So you could only drag a chair on the ground if it was on a hard surface. So they were not messing around. They had considered every single potential area that could be considered too much work, wearing too many clothes. That would be too much burden on your body. So you shouldn't do that. And that sounds crazy to us. But the truth is that we have some pretty rigid sets of rules sometimes. And the church can have some pretty rigid sets of rules sometimes that maybe we've come up with with the best of intentions that have ended up stopping us from being able to see God in our midst. We read a lot of self-help books, and none of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but they can block us from seeing Jesus and being in relationship with him. We read self-help books, devotionals. You know, I need to make sure that I get up five mornings a week and do this reading. I need to make sure I volunteer this many times at church. I need to make sure that we have our church attendance at this time. I need to make sure that I am not doing these things of A, B, C, X, Y, Z that somebody told me a long time ago would make God mad at me or would stop my ability from show Jesus' light to other people. And these all come from a good desire in us, just like I think The Pharisees were, they were trying. Like we can sometimes give them a bad rap and be like, ooh, you bad Pharisees, you're so crazy and rigid. But they were trying to do their best to make themselves as right as possible to get as close as possible to God. And they got so stuck in the rules and the systems and the habits right here that they missed Jesus right in their presence. 
So we're moving, I need to get my bulletin. I'm so bad at giving you guys little cues about where to go. All right, so we're on point two, how darkness can cover our life. Darkness can cover our life because we are not willing to be in that relationship with Jesus, or we're not willing to be in that relationship with others because we get stuck on those habits and those rules that we're talking about. And a lot of times I think we can talk about them really well. We will talk about intimacy, but we have brokenness in our relationships. We will talk about reconciliation, but we perpetuate systems of injustice and don't look at the ways that Jesus is wanting to come in and transform some things in us. Ephesians 4 says, it's by grace you've been saved, not by works so no one can boast. But I don't know about you. I like the works list because it's something I can look at concretely and be like, I did it, I didn't do it. And that feels safer to me than this like, oh, I'm, I'm in relationship with Jesus and he's going to guide me. That feels a little more fluid to me than my mind would like. But that's what Jesus is demonstrating in this text, that it's all about relationship. The other way darkness covers our life is that we do still buy into this health and wellness gospel. When we bought our house, there were 15 other offers on it, and we got it. And somebody said, when I need to tell a story about God's faithfulness, I'm going to use you because look at how much God has blessed you. And I thought, that is, I don't think that has anything to do with it. Like, God is involved in good things, but I didn't do anything really right to make this happen. I'm no exception to these other 14 people who were hoping that this would happen. We, I have heard so many people come back from short-term missions trips and say, gosh, the people there have so little, but they were so generous and they had so much joy and so, like, their faith was so alive. I need to remember to be more grateful for what I have. And I always just want to scream, no, you need to be so bummed about how much you have. The Pharisees had so much privilege and access and opportunity. They were literate. They knew the rules. They were in the temple day in, day out. And those were the very things that blocked them from seeing Jesus. I'm not preaching against your stuff. I'm not saying it's bad. But instead of being more grateful for what we have, we need to be more open and grateful for who we have, and that is Jesus, the light of the world. We need to be less worried and less focused on the rules and the, the rigidity that we can sometimes have with the best of intentions and be more focused on seeing Jesus in every interaction. The disciples had the same thought. And they said, here's this blind man. Now, Jesus, help us out. Who sinned? Was it him or his parents? This man, sin is obviously, or blindness, any sort of difficulty, lack, is a result of sin. My can cancer, maybe, it's a result of sin. My husband lost his job. It must be a result of sin. I keep struggling with this. It must be a result of sin. We're going through this really hard time in our marriage. I'm sure it's a result of sin. And yeah, sin can play a part, but what Jesus said is no, nobody. Sometimes darkness comes so that God can be glorified. And we don't like that. Because I would like to just focus on that Jesus is the light. Let's be in the light. But we cannot know light unless we have known darkness. And Jesus' light has the contrast of darkness. 
And so what that means is that darkness is something that Jesus works through. 2 Corinthians 12, when I am weak, he is strong. Difficulty does not mean the absence of God. Ease does not mean you've gotten it all right and God is blessing you. It just, sometimes it seems like that could match up and sometimes it doesn't. But those are our standards. And it works in the, in the physical world, right? Like if I work out, I'm going to be healthier. That works out that way. And if I work really hard at my job and I do, meet all these deadlines and I perform really well and I have great relationships with my peers, chances are I'll get promoted. So that principle does work in a lot of places. But Jesus comes and says... You can follow all these rules, and they'll get you so close, but they're not going to get you all the way there into intimate relationship with me. Romans 5 talks about how suffering produces perseverance and eventually leads to hope based on love and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And it's a loss to our relationship with Christ when we think that what we have gained is a result of something that we have done or as evidence of our self-worth. Because if the outside metrics are what measure what you're worth, what I'm worth, we're, we're setting ourselves up to fail. But if the metric for our value and for the potential for Jesus' light to be through us is simply because Jesus says, I am the light, and I created you in my image, and I love you, the opportunities are limitless. Okay, so now we're going to dive into our text. Now, that was kind of a blitz. We're going to spend a lot of time in point three. I almost want to read the whole thing to you guys, but it's very long. So we read the first part. Here are a couple striking things about this text. Compared to a lot of other healings where people brought sick people to Jesus or uh, the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years reaches out to Jesus, there is no indication that this blind man initiated this interaction with Jesus at all. He was sitting where he would have always sat at the temple, and he was begging. Maybe he didn't initiate because he couldn't see Jesus. Like, that's a valid point some of you are having. But there, he wasn't shouting out. There was nothing about him that got Jesus' attention. It was the disciples' question that, got Jesus's, that pulled Jesus in. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground made some mud, put it on the man's eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed. If somebody spit on my eyes with mud and said, now go wash, I'd be like, <laughs> no, that was not very helpful of you to do. But this man goes. He is open to the thought that maybe a miracle could happen. Why not? He doesn't let his thinking get in the way. He doesn't let his blindness get in the way. He finds his way to the pool. He cannot see on the beginning part of that journey with Jesus. But he trusts Jesus, saying, go. And he goes. And he is healed. And he is healed to the point that his neighbors don't recognize him. And this struck me when I was prepping this because I think the reality is is that many of us probably have an area in our life that Jesus needs to heal beyond recognition. He needs to heal us to the point this man's neighbors didn't recognize him. They're like, is that him? No, it looks like him, but it couldn't be him. 
Where does God need to heal you beyond recognition? Is it an addiction? Is it the need to control? Is it fear? Is it an opinion you have about somebody who holds a different political or religious or sexual identity orientation than you do? Is it your interactions with extended family? Is it your relationship with your work? Is it your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with yourself? Where does God need to heal you beyond recognition? The amazing thing is, is that he is capable. So God heals this man beyond recognition. Jesus tells the man to go, and the man goes. He gets healed. People don't recognize him. Jesus is still nowhere to be seen in this story. The Pharisees hear that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. They hear that there's this man who was blind, and now he can see. So they call him, and they say, tell us what happened. And so the man says, very simply, in verse 15, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. It's pretty straightforward. And the Pharisees said, this man can't be from God. He didn't keep the Sabbath. And then other Pharisees said, but how could a sinner perform such miraculous signs? So there's now division in the religious institution as a result of some work that Jesus did and then also pieced out. <laughs> and so this man is there kind of caught in the middle. This text speaks a lot to woundedness by the church. And we have all been wounded at some point, either by a religious institution, by someone who we know follows God. I have hurt some of you. I will do it again, not because I am trying to, but because I, it is the nature of the way we are. And this is where the transformation happens. I won't read all the text to you, but the Pharisees kind of get into it, and they go back and forth because Jesus has done two seemingly impossible, th two things seemingly impossible to happen simultaneously. Broken the law of the Sabbath, yet shown the miraculous healing of God. Jesus Venn diagrammed it. The Pharisees don't want it that way. But Jesus operates kind of right in that middle of that Venn diagram a lot. So the Jews didn't believe him. The Pharisees didn't believe this man that he'd been healed. They're like, you're lying. Go get his parents. And so they said, hey, tell us, is this your son? Was he born blind? And how is it that he can now see? And the parents said, we know he's our son. That's him. And we know he was born blind. But this is really important. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. Because they were, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. So he's kind of thrown under the bus by his parents and thrown under the bus of the religious institution by his parents. Like This is an opportunity for some deep woundedness. Being kicked out of the community is not what we would think here. Like, <clears throat> if I said, you are no longer allowed to come to church here, which I would never say, you would say, well, I will go find another church. But in that time, you're kicked out of the synagogue. You're kicked out, you're, you're kicked out of your entire community. 
It is a loss of your support system. It is a loss of your health insurance plan, of your job stability, of your income. It is a loss of the people who will help you when your kids are sick or when famine comes, let you borrow. I mean, it's, that's it. Like, this is a major cutting off. And so his parents were afraid of that. And so they said, let, let him speak for himself. Like, we'll vouch for his identity, but that's as far as we're going to go. And so they called the guy back again. And they said, tell us what happened. Is this man, we know that the man who healed you is a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. And he goes, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. And we see this man slowly start to be transformed. This man who was a beggar, a beggar who wasn't shouting out, wasn't calling out, nothing that he did attracted Jesus. Just a beggar sitting quietly, a blind beggar at the outside of the temple. And he's now increasingly going toe-to-toe with the most powerful people in his community. He's not saying yet, yeah, it's God, it's Jesus. I've got to follow him. He's the Messiah. He's He's not doing that, but he has seen a transformation in himself. He's experienced healing, and he is not backing down from that, which is incredible to me to see this transformation that happens. Through the rest of this passage, he gets called... Six times before the Pharisees, they keep calling him back and asking him for a different story and putting more and more and more pressure on him to change his story or to call Jesus a sinner or to do something that will allow the Pharisees to have their separate circles of no work on the Sabbath, miracles only happen if someone has the blessing of God, which you can't have if you broke the rule, if you broke the law, if you didn't read the self-help book, if you slipped up some area in your life, if you sin, whatever it is, if you have some sin, you cannot have the blessing of God. And Jesus came to say, the rules are a little too rigid. I am here to heal and to transform. The man gets spunkier and spunkier as the passage goes on. And I think we could learn something from that. Because when I get called back over and over and beaten down and it feels like pushed down and down, I'm a little inclined to put up a wall or throw myself out or to give up or to be defeated or to stay in the brokenness. And instead, this man is more and more like, what's bothering you guys so much? And he almost has this curiosity, like this naivete about him that is so winsome to me in this passage. And so they say, what did he do to you? This is in verse 26. How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Then he gets really snarky. Oh, do you want to be his disciples too? Like you're just trying to get a little clue? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And then the man says, well, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The pressure that he received from the religious institution that had been the doorsteps of his home for his entire life where he was a beggar, the pressure from them, the persecution from them, the woundedness from them pushed this man to Jesus. He did not start this process saying, 
he is saying Jesus is God or saying he's not a sinner. He actually started with the opposite. He was, I don't know where, I don't know who he is. I don't know. He might be a sinner, might not. I don't really, it doesn't really matter. Like, I, I can see now. Like, that's what I can go by. But over the course of experiencing what these Pharisees are attempting to be a woundedness, the man is pushed to Jesus. We have got to let the flaws of our fellow humans push us closer to Jesus, not away from a religious institution that we wrap Jesus up in and leave him behind too. He said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out, not just of the temple, of the community. That was it. Which is so devastatingly sad. And I was reading this passage. And then I read the next verse. And I just started weeping at my kitchen table. Remember Jesus peaced out, like he healed the guy and then he left and the guy got like really beaten up. And the guy got spunkier and spunkier and gained more and more hope and faith that this man could be God. That maybe a miracle happened. That maybe the things that he had been taught his entire life or these set of rigid rules that had always made him feel a little small. He'd been told his whole life, you have sinned. This is a curse on you that you are blind or your parents. This man isn't just being healed from physical blindness. He's being healed from a lifetime of being told that he is worth nothing. And Jesus comes in and lifts his physical blindness, and then he begins to lift all of that shame and that feeling of worthlessness as well. And in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, you guys, Jesus came back. He found that guy. He heard the woundedness that he'd experienced. And he came back. That's amazing. We have such a compassionate and tender God. And he found this man. And he came back. And he said, and now we're on point C, where Jesus guides and spreads. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man said, Who is he? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. It's me. I am God. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. What a beautiful story about a God who heals us who uses what Satan would use to squash us and push us away from, from Jesus. And instead, we see that those things can push us and are meant to push us straight into the arms of a tender, loving, aware God. Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, Are we blind too? 
Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Jesus kind of evades. He kind of lets them self-incriminate. He's like, you can see with your own eyes that I healed this man. And you yourself have said that healing, a miraculous healing, can only happen with God's blessing. And yet you're still more attached to your rules and to your systems and to your very concrete list, yes, I did, no, I didn't, than you are to being open to how I might work and where I might show up and when I might show up. When we claim we are the light, we self-incriminate. We are not the light. Jesus is the light, and he can be in us, and he can do mighty work through us, and that is a miracle and a privilege I still do not understand. But we are not the light. And so, as we close today, what I want to ask you is to consider a couple things. Where are you resistant to his illuminating truth? And instead insisting that you have the right standard. Be compassionate with yourself in this. This isn't a like, you guys are so judgmental, you need to fix it. This is that we pick up things along the way and we can get so fixated on them that we miss where Jesus wants to come in and heal us beyond recognition. So where is an area that you are so fixated on that you have maybe missed Jesus? or tried to block him from interacting with somebody else. This step requires a lot of humility because what it requires saying is, I need Jesus desperately. That blind man knew he needed help because his physical blindness was so apparent to him and everyone else. Sometimes we have the um, what seem like a convenience or luxury, but is actually a detriment of being able to hide our blindness. And so this step requires humility and saying, you know what, Lord, I'm a work in progress. What's that thing that you need to show me that you want to transform? And where does Jesus want to heal you beyond recognition? That first step requires humility. That second step requires hope. Hope that you believe that Jesus is a Jesus who brings light. He is a God who heals. He is a God who transforms. If you only ask the first question, you're asking, kind of the, where's, where's the brokenness in me? That second question of, and where are you gonna take me? Where are you gonna heal me? How are you gonna take me from being the blind woman, the blind man at the temple gates, and instead transform me into this confident, trusting, worshiping follower of Jesus who will go on to have a story that is shared in times and places I can't imagine that illuminates the tenderness and compassion Jesus who is light. I invite you to continue in this time of prayer while we worship.